have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. And we're going to read this morning verses 1 through 35. Verses 1 through 35. There is no more powerful story than the story of the resurrection. Would you agree with me? I mean, God's Word is powerful. It all has the ability to, to cut between the heart and uh, soul of man, what's good and what's bad, and what's God and what's not. And, and I thank God for His Word because, again, it's, it's like a scalpel that just can go in there and just finally cut exactly what needs to be cut away. So I thank God for that. But again, the church has been celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ for over 2,000 years. Around the world today, churches are rejoicing. Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ are rejoicing in the resurrection. So in verse 1 it says this, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices there they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Can you imagine that? Dazzling. It's almost like blinding apparel. Just really would have caught your attention. And it says this in verse 5, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hand of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, And the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. This is quite the event. Quite the event. That took place here. And and again, before we get into what I really want to look at this morning, and it's application to us, we cannot overlook the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the reason why we're here this morning. This is the reason why it seems like a lot of you are dressed up and you look so nice. This is the reason why the stage is smelling so beautiful with lilies this morning. You know if you come here and you're a member, this isn't normal. But we're celebrating our risen Savior. We're celebrating that glorious resurrection. And how many of you here today are so glad that you have the backstory to the resurrection? The story that I hold in my hand here, the Word of God, that's powerful. The Spirit breathed. God breathed. It's, it's, it's alive today. I am so glad that I have the backstory. But I want you to place yourself in their shoes today. The disciples, the eleven, these women that went to the tomb. They didn't have the backstory. Oh, they were given the backstory, but they didn't see it. 
Jesus had been telling them about his impending death. He was telling them about how he was going to rise again. He was telling them all along that his kingdom was not here. I said this last week. There's this horrible teaching going around that we as believers are to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. And we are to run for government offices and we are to do this and that. And when we have everything set up, the kingdom of God will be here. That's total heresy. Jesus is the kingdom. Jesus is the kingdom. And, and he made that clear in his word one time when he was talking to his disciples. He says, the kingdom's not here. The kingdom's not there. It's not there. It's not here. The kingdom is here. I praise God for that. But we have the story. We understand this. But I want you to put yourself in their shoes 2,000 years ago. Uh, again, many of them believe that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government, their oppressors. They thought that he was going to set up his kingdom here on earth. They believed that he was going to be the one that set them free. They were excited, even as we've seen last week, as they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus, save us. Save us now. Only to be yelling days later, crucify him, crucify him. As we read this text here, you might wonder, well, why? These women that actually went into the tomb and these two angels appeared to them as men in this startling appearance. Why didn't they believe him? In fact, the text says this, that they seemed to them it was an idle tale. And they actually said they did not believe them. Nothing against the ladies here this morning. We love you. But the custom of this day was this, that women could not even be an eyewitness in a court setting. It was their custom. Now, guys, how many will admit this morning, women see much more detail than us? That is the truth. Women have, are so more, and God has created them to the point, and I, and I, and I believe this is why maybe God appeared to them because they had a way of having detail. They didn't miss anything. But in that day, they weren't seen as good eyewitnesses. And so, therefore, the disciples just wrote them off except for one, right? Peter. I should say two. But Peter, it says he rose and he ran to the tomb. He didn't walk. He ran. You ever wonder why the apostle that ran away in shame, the apostle that one of the Gospels accounts says is the last time he denied Jesus, they were looking in each other's eyes. Maybe Peter felt that he needed to apologize. Maybe he wanted to see the Jesus that he loved so much that he had put everything in. Imagine these disciples had given up everything for three years. For three years they followed him. For three years they gave themselves to a movement. Even though their idea of the movement was completely not what Jesus had 
clearly stated to them. Just imagine if you were captive and all of a sudden your family was going to be set free. There was going to be nobody that would be ruling over you. And imagine that your leader is taken and beaten. He's put on a cross. He goes through the death of a thief, of an insurrectionist. Your hope would be dashed if you didn't know the backstory. Your hope might even be lost. And this is what was going on with the disciples. We're going to look at a portion of Scripture that is very powerful. In fact, I think it's a very powerful story about the resurrection. I think it's also a very wonderful encounter of two disciples. The encounter of the Lord, their Savior, our Savior, on a road called Damascus. We know in this story that one of them were given their names. It's Cleopas. We know that there's this disciple and his name is Cleopas. But we are never given the other disciple's name. But again, a lot of scholars believe that it was Luke because this account only shows itself in the Gospel of Luke. And how many know here that Luke was not one of the twelve disciples? So many times that is mistaken. But he was a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying it was Luke, but I'm just surprised that this is where we find the account. We do know this, that these two followers were more than likely part of the 70 disciples that Jesus sent out. And we know this, that they are in grief because of what has happened to Jesus just the prior days before. So we're going to continue in verse 13. And it says this, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that have happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now I want you to picture this with me. And and children here this morning, I want you to picture what the road of Emmaus might have been like. We know that it's seven miles between Jerusalem and and Emmaus. We know that that's the distance. We're given that in God's Word. But as I studied this out, I found out that Emmaus was this well-traveled road. And it was especially been traveled very well during Passover with all the people coming to visit Jerusalem. It would have been busy. I also found out as I looked it up that it's... uh, road that is just full of greenery. Oh, it was beautiful to travel down. Just recently, Lisa posted a picture, the Garden of Gethsemane, and and she posted a picture of an olive tree, and I actually said to her, is this an actual picture that you posted, you've seen? And she says, I was there when it was taken, and I was like, man, I'm so jealous. Someday I want to go to Israel. I want to see where the Emmaus Road was, but this road was beautiful especially this time of year. But because it was covered with greenery also, it was a road that you did not want to travel at night because of thieves and robbers. You had to be very careful. So this is what the the road of Emmaus would have looked like. And in verse 16 it says this, But their eyes kept 
from recognizing him. So we have these two disciples as they're walking down this road. And they're talking amongst each other. And we know because we have the backstory, Jesus himself drew near. He joined them. But we see in 16 that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Listen, it wasn't because they didn't know Jesus and who he was. Listen, we've seen Friday that Jesus was on the cross and actually beaten to not even being recognized as a man, Scripture says. But this is not that Jesus that was beaten. This was the Jesus they would have known. This is the Jesus that they would have sat under. This is the Jesus they would have seen do miracles. They knew who Jesus was, but I want to point out to you this morning. It says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. The Lord caused them not to be able to recognize Jesus. And I believe there's a good reason for that. I'm going to share that later on in this sermon. They knew Jesus, but they were prevented from not seeing him. And it says in verse 17, And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. They stood still looking sad. We see Jesus, he asked a question here, and he's going to ask several questions in this text. And I don't know if you ever noticed, but I really noticed this as we went through the Gospel of Mark last year, verse by verse. Jesus a lot of times asked questions. And sometimes he answered questions with a question. One of my favorite Bible school teachers was a man that would do exactly that. He would ask you a question, and sometimes you would answer a question with a question. And what that would cause me to do is this. It would cause me to remember those things that I knew, but it would also cause me to examine the things that I didn't, to really put thought to it, especially those questions with a question. We've seen through our study of Acts that a good teacher like the Apostle or like the Apostle Paul was a man that asked questions. He was a man that answered questions with a question. So I believe good teachers and the most excellent teacher, Jesus, used this method, and we see it here. We do know this that even though he asked them this question, we know because we have the backstory that eventually he will bring them to truth. How many know that Jesus is the truth? He's the truth and the way and the light. And then the thing is about Jesus Christ is this. It says this, that he leaves us this helper 43 days after his, his resurrection, the day of Pentecost, that he leaves us this, this helper that we know that John actually says that will lead us to all truth. All truth. Truth in everything. In the world that we're living in, how many know there's so much untruth? There's so much untruth. There's so much truth suppressed. Listen, God left you a helper to navigate through that, to lead you to all truth in all things. And how does he do that? Through his word. Through his word. To the Holy Spirit, 
Don't allow yourself to be caught up. Don't allow yourself to be dismayed. Don't allow yourself to be caught looking sad in the day that the Lord has us. And it says this in verse 18, Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And in the Greek, if you take that phrase, and I actually got a hold of somebody that actually knows and speaks Greek, and I said, listen, if you were to read this, how would it come out, or how would it come out in our words today? And it's almost like the phrase, are you kidding me? Have you not heard? How could you have missed this? Are you kidding me? Anybody ever say that, use that phrase? Are you kidding me? Everybody should know about this. You mean there was a breakfast here this morning? You didn't know about it? Are you kidding me? And Jesus answers them in verse 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Now we know what Cleopas is saying here. He's saying, man, he was, our leader was, he was beaten. He was, he was put on a cross. He was mocked. Uh, uh, thorns were set on his head and they were pushed into his stall. He took his last breath. And we heard, but we didn't understand exactly except for those last words. It is finished. He's done. Our leader is dead. I can imagine this conversation. And as we see here, it says this, And a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Now, we have to catch what's going on here. Cleopas says this, And they said to them concerning Jesus of Nazareth, but then they say, A man. A man. Who was a prophet. Mighty indeed, and the, and the word before God and all the people. We don't see them here. These two disciples say this. Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. They didn't say Jesus, the Messiah. But they said Jesus, the man, the prophet. How many of you know that today? A lot of people will agree that Jesus was a good teacher. There's people out there that will agree that even Jesus was a prophet. You know Muslims will tell you that Jesus is a prophet? But they don't believe that he's the Son of God. And I believe what we're seeing here is exactly what's going on here. Is Again, all hope is dashed. They had missed what Jesus had been telling them for three years. And one of my questions to you today is this. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Whether you're sitting here under my voice or you're watching on the internet this morning, who is Jesus to you? Was he just a good man? Was he just a good teacher? Is he that flashlight when things go bump in the night and you need something? Is this person that you only call on in your distress, when you have a need. Who is Jesus to you? And in verse 20 it says this, 
And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucify him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things had happened. So their hearts are revealed. They're hoping that he was the one to redeem them, to bring them out from underneath the Roman rule. Because how many know that throughout the history of Israel, God put them in captivity time and time and time again. Even to the point that just a little bit down the road here in 70 A.D., the temple is going to be destroyed block by block, fulfilling a prophecy of old. And then they say, but he's even been dead three days. And I think about that because how many days was Lazarus dead? Four, that's right. They had seen that. They had heard about that. They might have even been there and smelt it. They seen him. They had heard that he had come forth. They had seen the linen cloths unwrapped from him. But still, they're having a hard time with Jesus just being dead for three days. There's doubt here. And they're believing that he was just a man. How do we view Jesus? I've asked you the first question. Who is Jesus to you? How do we view Jesus? This is my second question to you. Do we see Jesus as just an additive to our life? Listen, I'm just going to put out a pet peeve out there for you. And listen, don't read into this anything spiritual. Don't go burning your T-shirts and everything else. But it always makes me cringe, cringe a little bit when I see that, that phrase, yeah, a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of coffee. It always makes me go, hmm. And I know a lot of people don't mean bad by it. But the thing is, is this, is Jesus just an additive in your life? Yeah, you know, I I believe Jesus, but you know what? I I don't want him to rule my life. Listen, I had a point in my life where I was running from ministry. (laughs) I love pastors. I love God. But I didn't want to be a pastor. I was running. And nobody knew. Nobody knew that I was. I I even had my mother-in-law fooled. I'd still go to the Tuesday afternoon prayer meeting. A lot of times just to see that beautiful lady who's my wife now before we're married. I'd be on my knees praying and peeking. And asking and praying hard that her dad would say yes one day. And he did 33 years ago. Thank you, Dad. We must embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He cannot be an additive. He cannot be just the person to show up when we need help. We need to put him in his rightful place in our lives. We need to live out our lives and our calling 
unto him and the glory of God. In verse 22, it says this, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen visions of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now, understand, within days there's going to be theories that are thought up of what happened to Jesus. The only ones that truly knew possibly what had happened that day were the Roman soldiers that would receive death because that stone was rolled away and the body was gone. How would you like to explain that one to your boss? We see again, they bring up that account, but we also know earlier in the text that they didn't believe the women. They thought it was tales. And we see Jesus' response here in verse 25, And He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets had spoken. And remember, Friday night, I was talking about everything that happened and every, all the words that Jesus spoke from the cross were prophetic. And those religious leaders that were there standing at its foot should have acknowledged that. They would have known that. They knew the Scriptures. They knew the prophecies. It still floors me today that the Jewish people still can't see it. But we know why, because the Bible says that God has blinded their eyes to it. Oh, but there's going to be a day where thousands, in fact, 144,000 are going to come to Christ. They're going to be the most powerful evangelists that you've ever seen if it happens in our day. Oh, what a day that will be. And it says this. In verse 26, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. For you that are Bible scholars, for you that love to study the word of God, for you that have studied the prophecies of old and how they've come to pass, you would have loved this expository sermon this morning that went on into the afternoon Jesus started sharing with them from the very beginning in Genesis until that day all the things concerning himself how many know the first prophecies of Jesus Christ is right in the beginning I would have loved to heard this sermon that Jesus spoke to these two disciples as they were walking this seven miles. It would have been captivating to them. Because again, realize that these two disciples would have been learned men. It was required to sit under a rabbi for them, a teacher. They would have known the scripture. I would imagine he talked about even the the beginning of sin in the garden and the creation. I believe that he would have probably talked about the children of Israel, how they failed and in their disobedience drew away from God. 
I imagine even through in there when Israel wanted a king and they turned their faces towards God and they wanted the tall, handsome man Saul as their king. And God's heart was grieved. This would have been the best expository sermon ever. And in verse 28 it says this, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he, Jesus, acted as if, as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Now again, the reason why they did this is they were Jewish men. They were God-fearers. They believed in Yahweh. And nobody in their right mind would allow somebody, especially a traveler, a, a partner, or somebody that they had been traveling with all day, had shared these things with them to continue because he would be robbed for sure. He would be beaten. Jesus actually gives us a parable about that. So they invite him in. They truly cared now for their traveling partner, even at one point they said, are you kidding me? Have you not heard? In verse 30 it says this, And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Bummer. To me, this is where I would have been sitting there saying, Really? <laughs> I finally know who you are. Now, I've been captivated by your words. My heart was burning. I was starting to make connect dots of what this traveler had been telling us. And isn't it amazing? It's amazing to me that it says that it was in the breaking of the bread that all of a sudden their eyes were open. They had seen Jesus break bread before. They possibly could have even been in the outer circle as they ate, as he following grew. During the week of Passover, they possibly, we don't know, Scripture doesn't tell us, we do know that they, they heard of the Last Supper in the upper room where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. It was very intimate. But there was something about the breaking of bread that opened their eyes. See, breaking of bread is a very intimate thing. We don't seldom do it in the day that we're living in. How many remember church days where you had people actually over to your house? Am, am I the only one? Can it just be? And, and, and I don't know if that still happens a lot today, but it's an intimate time, right? When we have somebody over our house, usually we're both working, making sure everything looks perfect. Now, being the pastor, you don't want nobody to see anything out of place. And, and so you're working, you're preparing your house, and then you're preparing a, di a dinner, on, and you want to make sure it's a good dinner. You don't want just hot dogs and pork and beans, right? No, you're going to make sure that everything is set right. And then you sit down at your table, and you care for your guests, and, and you break bread together. You have sweet fellowship together. 
And in this day, that was something that took place a lot. It was an intimate occasion. Maybe they remember Jesus blessing the bread at one point. We don't know. We don't know the backstory, but we do know that the Word of God makes it clear. It was upon breaking bread that their eyes were open. And then Jesus is gone. And in verse 32, it says this. And they said to each other, I can imagine that. They're probably like, did that really happen? Jesus was just right here. And, and, and then he disappeared. Whoa. I can imagine what took place there at that house, at that table. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? Why he talked to us on the road. Why he opened to us the scripture. Going back to verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I told you I believe there was a reason for verse 16. I believe that if their eyes would have recognized Jesus that day, that they would have been distracted from the word. They would have been distracted by Jesus connecting the dots of the prophecies leading to his death and his burial and his resurrection. They would have missed it. They would have been just in awe that their teacher that they heard had died on the cross was with them. But again, they would have just recognized him as a man. That possibility was there. But their eyes were open. And it says in verse 33, And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, and saying, The Lord is risen indeed. How many have seen that this morning, maybe on social media, or maybe somebody greeted you that way? The Lord is risen indeed. This is where it comes from, right here, this portion of Scripture. And appeared to Simon... Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Again, we see it. Something Jesus did with that bread. I don't think, you know, we often say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask questions. I I don't know if that's going to be possible. I think we're going to be in such awe and worship of our King. The song we sang this morning, to just gaze in his eyes. And I don't know if I'm going to be the one that's going to be one that's going to ask this question, but I'm going to be listening for it for the thousands of years to come. So how did Jesus break bread? Better yet, I want to see how Jesus breaks bread at that banqueting table that we're going to be sitting at one day. I'm going to be paying attention. Because that had to be in a special way. Did he, did he do it so gentle? I, I, I don't know, but it was something that caused their eyes to be open. I have another question to you, for you today. It says that their hearts burnt as you shared with them the scriptures. I asked you this morning, what is Jesus to you? What is Jesus to you? Now I'm going to ask you this question. Does your heart burn with passion when you read and when you hear the words of God? We know this, that in John, the Gospel of John, 
chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became flesh. 100% man, 100% God. He walked this earth. We see in John 1, 1, it says this, And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How many know that Jesus is the Word? Another horrible, heretical teaching that's being taught today that He's not. And if I was the devil, I'd do everything in my power not to get you to read this every day, to meditate on it. God's Word breathed alive. Does your heart burn for the things of God? Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. If you're sitting here today and your heart is not burning for the things of God, there's a couple reasons for that. The first reason is, is this. Maybe you're not born again. That's the process where God takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. It's that intimate meeting Jesus Christ and understanding what He did and the sacrifice that He made for us on the cross that we might have eternal and everlasting life. That could be one reason why your heart does not burn. Why you don't have passion for the things of God. The other thing is, is this, is that the Word of God might be collecting dust. You don't read it. You don't allow it to do its surgical work in your heart every day. Maybe you're struggling through life and you don't know why. And I don't care if it's on a mountaintop or in a valley because how many of you experience that God is even with us in the valleys? Thank Him. Praise Him. He is there. He is faithful even when we're not. He is there. Their hearts burned. They seen Scripture clear. You know, that's another thing. Listen, another heretical teaching today. We're a New Testament church and we don't need to read the Old Testament or study it. Hogwash. If you can't see Jesus in the Old, you will not recognize Him in the New. It's impossible. The Old Testament is filled of beautiful stories of redemption. Beautiful prophecies of a coming Savior. Example of examples of how we should live and what we should do and what we shouldn't. So as I close this morning, who's ever under the sound of my voice and under the Word of God, because again, these are His words, not mine. I would ask you these questions this Resurrection Sunday morning. Who is your God? How do you see Jesus? See Him just as a man, just as a good teacher? If that's the way you see Him, I would love to talk to you. I would love to show you all the prophecies of old that have been fulfilled to this day. 
Maybe you've made Jesus just as an added of your life. And, and again, I find it funny today that we live, the, the day that we live in, the cross is a whole different symbol than what it was 2,000 years ago. I have nothing against people wearing them. If you put one on your car or a fish on your car, I've always said, man, make sure you're driving right. Represent Jesus. But that cross back then was an instrument of death. And we sing about the cross today. We wear crosses. We have a cross right up here. And I am so glad that we do. Because it reminds us of what Jesus Christ did for us. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? But maybe you've made them into an additive. Or maybe you're just in your relationship and you don't burn anymore. Your heart's not on fire anymore for God. And and listen, I'm going to encourage you. Today, get in the Word. Tomorrow, get in the Word. Let the Word of God wash over you and through you. Allow it to be surgical in your life. Allow it to lead you. Maybe you're caught up with what's going on in this world that's just chaotic. Listen, the answers are here. All the answers are here. So, would you stand with me this morning as we close? And we're going to sing. I'm going to ask Tim to lead us through that last song. Can you do that, brother? Surprise. Be ready in and out of season. We're going to sing this song, and then afterwards I'm going to close in prayer. And maybe one of those answer questions I asked you today, maybe it's stung you right here. That That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. My words have no power. His words do. They're surgical. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you just need to say this morning, God, I commit. I'm going to commit to read your word today, tomorrow, and every day to come. Because I need the living word of God to change my life, to guide me, to lead me. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're not certain who Jesus is. Maybe ah, he's, he's a good man. He's a good teacher. Yeah, I believe he was a historical figure. Listen, maybe you feel the Holy Spirit bring you to the point that you need to declare him Savior. And listen, I am not a guy that's going to have you bow your head, repeat after me. I don't see that in Scripture. But what you simply need to do is this. Is you need to simply, during this time, just say, God, I've not put you in your rightful place. I have sinned against you. And God, I'm turning to, from my sin, I'm turning to you, and I'm done. I'm done with my self-righteousness. I'm done trying to do this on my own. Jesus, I need you. You are the perfect Lamb of God, the sacrifice that was given by God the Father for me. You know what? You will be forgiven and you will be born again. Maybe you're here and maybe you've put God on the back burner. That flashlight. That additive. Maybe you have the Jesus fish in your car and you know, man, that's not me. Listen, it's time to say, God, 
I'm sorry. I've not put you in your rightful place. I've allowed things of this earth to get between you and I. And, and God, Jesus, I put you in your rightful place. And listen, anybody here, after we're done with the closing prayer, if you want to talk further, I make myself available. Our elders, how many elders in the church do we have here this morning? Just raise your hand up high. If you look around, you can talk to any one of these elders too. They are faithful men. They know the Word of God. And they'll be able to sit and also talk to you this morning. In fact, elders, I'm going to ask you just immediate right after service just to come up here. And, and so they can just come up front. And please don't forget, we want to bless you with an Easter lily today. So please take one with you as you go. Um, please take the ones on the floor first. If anybody wants to come up here and take pictures, you're more than welcome to use the ones here on the table. Father, we thank you today for you loving us, for you loving the world. Father, you send no one to hell. They choose that demise. Your word makes it clear that your heart is none should perish. And you provided for us the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, your Son. Again, Jesus, we thank you for being victorious. We thank you for loving us. We thank you that we cannot out the sacrifice that was given for us. We thank you for the things that you taught us, for the things that you're teaching us, and cause us to wake up every morning proclaiming you as our Lord and Savior. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you were given to us as a helper. And we thank you for conviction. We thank you for encouragement. We thank you for bringing the word of God to us in our time of need, whether it's for personal need or sharing with others or recalling it. We thank you for doing surgical work in our hearts to make us more and more like you. And today I pray for those that are here that maybe they don't know you. Maybe they just acknowledge you as a teacher, as a prophet, as a man. As the Holy Spirit has convicted them, God, I pray that they make that step of simply saying, Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Father, I can't do this anymore on my own I'm overwhelmed I cannot take another step and Father I surrender to you and your will and I make Jesus Christ my Savior my King and I pray for those that are here this morning that maybe they've just not put you in your rightful place and I know this in my life when I've done that it's it's very uncomfortable. I run on my own energy, on my own source, and I get tired. I get wore out. God, if we have done that, Jesus, we've done that. As Spirit, we've uh, discluded you. We say that we are sorry. We repent and we turn 
again from our sin to you. And we put you in your rightful place. And last off, Father, I pray a blessing over everyone that's under the sound of my voice this morning, whether it's here or at home watching on the Internet. God, I pray that they experience a blessing in the valley and on the mountain. That they receive and they know full well that promise that you'll never leave us or forsake us. It's like a a quilt on a nice, chilly day. It's comforting to know that. And we thank you and we praise you for that. But God, I also pray, Lord, that you use your people today. Cause the Word of God to burn in such a way that they cannot hold it in, that they must share it with those that are around them, that they must share the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. So, Father, be with us, Lord, as we go and we celebrate you as we're with family and friends. Cause us, Lord, to declare the goodness of God wherever you have us today and everywhere we go from this moment on. And I pray this in the mighty name of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Please pick up a lily. We will see you Wednesday night. For you that were visitors here today, we just want to say welcome. And it's so good to see a lot of familiar faces. God bless you. Happy Resurrection.